This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Clay talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome in. Wins and Losses podcast here. I am your fearless host, Clay Travis. We are going to be joined here momentarily by Joel Klatt. I want to tell you guys, I want you to leave me the best possible five-star reviews that you can on the Wins and Losses podcast. I'll shout out some of the best as we continue uh, to have more and more of these weekly episodes. We need more reviews. Helps the rating. Helps bump us up in the podcast rankings, I'm told. Also, I want to be entertained by reading these things. Special bonus if you can make fun of Joel Klatt while talking about how awesome I am in that review. We'll continue to uh, share those going forward. Uh, And we are joined today by at Joel Klatt, one of the most awful people on the internet. He is the lead college football analyst for uh, Fox Sports, and uh, he has the the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate, I would say, uh, notoriety for being among my biggest haters in all the world. Joel, thanks for joining us. I'm just a truth teller. So, you know, when you're a massive hypocrite, I just call it out right on its face. All right, so speaking of being a massive hypocrite, um, you, of course, are one of the greatest <laughs> hypocrites in all of the land. But what, oh, we, do, so what we do on the Wins and Losses podcast is uh, we try to get from how you got – so in, 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 I just introduced you as the lead voice uh, for Fox College football. You travel around to the best game Fox has in the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the Big 10 every week and get to call college football games. But you're a relatively yeah. young guy. How old are you, like, as we speak today in 2019? Uh, 37. 37 years old. So you're a young guy to have the job that you have. So let's go back in time. Let's go back in time. We'll, we'll eventually work our way back up to the 2019 college football season that's about to start. But when did the question I always like to ask people who uh, become pretty good athletes, and people may not even realize that you were a pretty good athlete, is when did you realize for the first time, hey, I'm pretty good at playing sports? Um, I mean, I, I always loved sports, and I would say as a kid, I was always, I would say, you know, one of the 
you know, top two or three players on whatever team I was on, kind of regardless of sport. Now, my dad was a high school football coach. I was the youngest of four. I was the accident, actually, Clay. So I was way behind my brothers and sisters. So my whole childhood was basically just a big tag-along to their sporting events. And, you know, my brother was a really good player um, in football, basketball, and baseball. And I would be the ball boy on the sideline for my dad's teams. And so I was always around it. I I always loved competing, whether it was wiffle ball in the backyard or actually playing on team sports of my own. But I would say that I, I, I think I knew from a pretty young age that I was always one of the better players on whatever team I was on. But I didn't really know... That, that I was good enough to play past high school until I would say I was a junior in high school. Um, that might be late, but, but for whatever reason, I just always thought that that was for other people. You know, that was for like the greatest players. And then all of a sudden, specifically baseball, I started playing really well. I started hitting a lot of home runs as a junior in high school and started getting uh, attention from not only colleges, but from also major league teams. And that was the first kind of whiff I got of like, oh, man, I'm going to be able to play past high school. Where did you grow up? Uh, Denver, Colorado, just outside. It's actually a town called Arvada. And Arvada is actually directly between Boulder and, and Denver. So I grew up very close to the University of Colorado. I grew up a huge Denver Bronco fan. And um, right during the John Elway era, you know, I was born in 1982 and he got there, so my formative years were watching the Broncos, you know, go to the Super Bowl and lose it three times, and I was a couple of Super Bowls. So uh, certainly sports shaped my entire life growing up. And, and in particular, I was able to, as a kid, watch the University of Colorado win a national championship. So, you know, for me, you know, that was kind of life. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmental Environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep. Sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. 
Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Uh, we're talking to Joel Klatt, Fox College football lead analyst, does a lot of different things for Fox. Uh, and so you're, you said your dad was a high school coach. What did he coach? Uh, he was a football coach. So he he was at that school, Pomona High School in Arvada, Colorado, for over 30 years from the day it opened. And he was the head coach uh, for a while. He was a defensive coordinator for a while. But, um, yeah, he was – he was always there, and that was always kind of my favorite thing to do as a kid was go to the high school football games and be a ball boy on the sideline. Did you play high school football for your dad? I did. Um, but he – it wasn't – you know, that, that brings up – I'm sure that everyone listening will have a very specific picture in their mind of what that means, right? Oh, of course, this guy was a coach's son. And I always push back on that a little bit because my experience was actually very different than what I think people predict it would have been. For instance, my dad um, was kind of a gruff guy, a disciplinarian. He was a Marine. Um, he, he fought in Vietnam. He was a first lieutenant in an artillery division in the Vietnam War. And so, you know, he ran our football team accordingly you know we had to have our uniforms washed and pressed and our helmets shined and our shoes shined just in order to get on the bus um and we were you know we were very much a disciplined football team well he told me you know when i was a junior <clears throat> that well first of all he would never put on the varsity until i was a junior and then once i was a junior he said you're not playing quarterback for me if there's an older kid that can that is willing you know to play quarterback or or can play quarterback. And so I didn't even get to play the position of quarterback until I was a senior for my dad, which if anyone knows anything about recruiting and, and, and high school football and college football knows that that's like, that's like two years too late. So I wasn't recruited basically at all, certainly by the big schools around. Uh, but, you know, I was just a late addition to some division two recruiting uh, classes and got to take trips to places like South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Northern Colorado, uh, but in large part because I only played, I only started 10 games uh, as a quarterback for my high school football team in my career. That's And what kind of offense did you guys run? Did you wing it around at all, or was it more of a kind of a traditional? No, no it was it, not even traditional, Clay. It was old school. It was like, do you know the old robust? Two tight ends, three backs in the backfield. We would run the option. We would run the ball 90% of the time. They had won. My dad had a tremendous amount of success. They won, I think, something like 12 straight league titles. He won a state championship in the 80s. He was constantly up there in the state playoffs. And, and they believed in this very simple system. And so there I was, not very fast, 6'2", good arm, um, slow kid, trying to run the option in high school for my dad's team. And at the end of the year, this is this is the only time that I feel like he budged only because he was my father. Um, we weren't a great team. We were about a 500 football team. And at the end of the year, he finally, for the first time in the history of the school, put a quarterback in shotgun 
for the last two games, and I actually sat in the shotgun and we threw the ball around a little bit my last two games of, of high school. But other than that, I was doing the robust, like, you know, reverse out, fake it to the fullback, run the option down the line, and I was not very good at it. <laughs> so do you think that if you had been in a pro-style offense in, in, you know, or certainly a spread, but there probably weren't a lot of spread offensive attacks then – if you had had that opportunity to kind of wing the football around, do you think you would have gone to play college football? I don't know. Um, you know that uh, people have asked me that before, but I, I, I really don't know. I my path was so unique, Clay, and there was there were so many things that had to happen for me to have the journey that I did. It was it was. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful that it happened the way that it did because as we'll get into in, in a moment, I'm sure, as we're talking about kind of my path, I wasn't ready for that opportunity out of high school. You know, it's part of the reason why I failed in my en- endeavor right after high school. Um, and so I'm, I am eternally grateful that I didn't have the opportunity to play football right out of, out of high school and that I had an opportunity to go and, and be a professional in a different sport and grow up and learn an immense amount of le- uh, lessons in order to put those into practice once I co- came back and actually went to college. So um, I don't, I have no idea. I might have had an opportunity to play, you know, but definitely not at the University of Colorado. All right, so let's go to what happens instead. You're gra- you're, you're, you said it in a junior year of high school, you start to hit some home runs, you start to have some good success in high school baseball what position are you playing and when did you start thinking oh man I might get drafted you said it was that junior year what then happens as you move into your senior year okay so I was a shortstop and you know that was right in the kind of the A-Rod era where the shortstop was no longer just the small middle infielder that hit for average but you could be a power player and play shortstop so I would play shortstop my brother was uh, playing college baseball at the time, and um, I started hitting a lot of home runs. Now, granted, this is in Colorado with thin air, and this is you know with the aluminum bat, and the pitching wasn't great, but uh, but I was hitting you know a home run every you know six or seven at bats in high school, and so that's when I started to realize like my future is going to be in baseball. So wait, how many home runs? How many home runs did you hit in a season then in high school baseball? So. So, like, for instance, the summer before my senior year, uh, I think we played 50 games, 48 or 50 games, and I hit 26 home runs. Wow. And I had about, I think, 99 or 100 RBI right in there. And so, so I, you know, I, I, was, I was hitting the ball really well. I was decent defensively. And, I, and then once I got into the spring of my senior year, that pace kind of kept up. I think we played only 18 or 19 games, and I hit 10 home runs. So – I started getting some looks, and I started getting a lot of looks from junior colleges. I started getting some looks from professional scouts, and I and I thought I was going to have an opportunity to play certainly in college, but maybe you know I'd get lucky and get drafted. In the meantime, Clay, my brother actually graduated from college and signed a free agent deal with the San Diego Padres, and so he went to the San Diego Padres and was with their rookie ball team when I was uh, the summer before my senior year. And he was with the Padres. Well, because of that, their scouts started to realize about me. Started, you know, hey, this kid that Jason, my brother, was playing very well for their rookie ball team. And they were like, oh, he's, he's got a younger brother who's basically a clone of him. 
And and I was a little bit more powerful than Jason at the time. You know, he was a little smaller than I was. And so their scouts specifically started really watching me a lot. And and because of that, because I was fortunate to have my brother in a professional organization, they knew about me. You know, that started to garner a lot of interest. So the Rockies, who were the local team, and the Padres were very interested. I believe the Giants were the other team that were very interested. I, I worked out at Coors Field for the Rockies before the draft. And after my senior year in that June draft, I was drafted in the 11th round. And it was higher than I could have possibly imagined. I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that I was taken that high. Um, it was, you know, kind of a dream come true. And then I had to decide whether I was going to go play junior college baseball or sign with the Padres and play in the minor leagues. And that was a really difficult decision for me, to be quite honest with you, because um, I knew that an education was going to be important. My dad was a teacher. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. They always stressed the importance of an education. And I, I say to everybody that the decision that I made to sign with the San Diego Padres out of high school was the best, worst decision that I ever made in my life. What kind of signing bonus do you get back then as an 11th round pick? So I signed for basically the equivalent of about $100,000. Which seems like like you might as well have been $10 million to you, right? $100,000 to an 18-year-old is a exactly. ton of money. Yeah. So my, you get- my, my dad... I mean, my dad never made at that point. This is nineteen. This is two thousand. He had been a teacher his whole life. I think he was making. I mean, he was at the end, and I think he was making like fifty six thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, so <laughs> when they said now, part of that it wasn't all in cash, right? It it, it was the equivalent of about a hundred grand, and part of that was designated towards my college education. I think it was. I want to say it was. Forty grand or thirty-five thousand of the hundred was designated just for college reimbursement. Yeah. So you get that offer, like, and how long does it take you to decide I'm going to take the, you know, like I'm going to go try my luck at Major League Baseball? The way I remember it, it took me a couple of days. You know, my brother was stressing to me. He had been released in the, in the meantime, um, and and so he was done with the Padres. And he was stressing to me to go to college. He was like, listen, minor league baseball is not what it's cracked up to be. You know, you know, I know that it's more beneficial to go in as a high school draft pick rather than a college player just because of the age. Uh, but he was stressing to me not to go. My dad was probably stressing to me at the time not to, to sign. And I just I couldn't resist, Clay. I mean, as you can imagine, right? I mean, you dream your whole life of being a professional athlete, and then all of a sudden someone says, here's the opportunity, here's you know, $100,000 to do it. Um, and so against the advice of my family, I actually decided to sign and, and signed with the Padres and went down and played in the rookie ball in Peoria, Arizona, uh, that summer. So you said you were going to go to junior college. Why not a, a, like a bigger college? What was the decision for junior college for you? Yeah, for me, it was really easy and, and it's, it all had to do with retaining your draft status and, okay. and your own rights because, if you signed with a four-year school and went there, then it's just like football. You had to be there for three years before right. you could go back into the draft. Versus, you know, that's why a lot of great players actually go the junior college route because they'll get drafted out of high school. They say, you know what, I can improve that by a, by a few rounds. They don't get a, the, the bonus that they want. They go to junior college. Then they can be drafted the very next year. I got you. So that was the reason that I, I decided that junior college was going to be my route is because I wanted to retain my ability 
to be drafted the very next year. All right, so you immediately go to rookie ball. I mean, so you're 18 years old. You know, you spent your whole life in Colorado. You sign this deal, uh, and you go on and go to rookie ball. What was that like? Um, (laughs) It was the most interesting thing I can possibly imagine at the time. You know, here I am from a suburban town in Denver, Colorado, and all of a sudden I walk into a locker room, and there was probably 40, 45 guys, and – only 13 to 15 of them spoke English as a native language. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of Dominican players in the Padre organization at the time. There were some guys from Panama. There was, I mean, there were some guys from Mexico. There was, I mean, Venezuela. There was a good contingent from Venezuela. And, and dude, like, I can't even tell you what a shock to the system that is, you know, to all of a sudden be thrown into that. Um, I got a great story, and I think I think you'll love this. So this is just like some comedic relief. What yeah. My very first days down there. First of all, listen, I was a little nervous for whatever reason. In our high school, we didn't take showers. Yeah. It just wasn't a thing, right? Like we would go home to shower after baseball games, or even after football games and football practice. You just kept your your pads in your locker and you just changed and you went home and showered. And so we didn't do like the big, like, you know, what I would call the gang shower. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that I like, I knew it was coming. And, and candidly, I was, you're a little nervous about it. Right. I mean, it's like the first, it's like a moment of truth in, in a young man's life. <laughs> the first time he's going to stroll into a gang shower. And one of the first times that I ever did it, and, and and this is in the spring training complex in Peoria, or uh, Arizona, with the Padres. I I walk in and I'm like, all right, like you know, like chest up, shoulders back. You know, I'm telling myself all this stuff, like hang the towel on the outside, walk in like you own the joint, like this is it. Here we go. You know, birthday suit, rocking, got my shower shoes on, I'm ready to go. So I walk into the shower. And if you've ever been in one of those types of showers, it's loud, right? Because there, there are a bunch of other guys in there, and if they're talking or shouting or laughing or whatever, it all just kind of, like, reverberates because it's just like a big, like, cement block room. And so it's loud. It's echoey. The showers are going. There's, like, steam coming up, you know? So it's, it's like this weird scene where you can't really see what's going on, but there's a lot going on because you can hear it. And so I just start showering as quickly as I can. And, and at one point, you know, I'm like washing off and I'm, and I'm rinsing off at this point. I'm rinsing off. And so the water's kind of going over my eyes. So my eyes are closed at the time. And I just hear this loud laughter coming from across the shower. <laughs> and it, I swear it sounded like the cookie monster, right? And, and one of the Dominicans was just laughing as loud as he possibly could. And so I quickly kind of like rub my eyes and open my eyes and I'm kind of like squinting through the steam that's still in the shower. And he's standing there with his hands on his hips, turned to his neighbor, the shower neighbor, and his neighbor is also rinsing off. And he's just with his both hands on his hips, not holding anything, peeing on the guy next to him and laughing hysterically, a big cookie monster laugh. Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> 
time, this time, like the guy can't feel it. I can't remember his name, but the guy can't feel it because he's in a warm shower. So yeah. finally, he does the same thing I do. He like rinses. You know, he kind of rubs his eyes and opens his eyes and realizes that he's getting the golden shower from his neighbor. <laughs> and, <coughs> Clay, all hell breaks loose in the shower. They start throwing blows in the shower. I mean, and, uh, listen, everything is slinging around. It's, hitting, it's you know, slippery. Like, they're, they're slippery. They're slipping. Like I said, things are really swinging around. They're swinging. Oh, bro. So I I immediately just, like, walked out, grabbed my towel, and went back to my locker. And I remember sitting in my locker, and I was staring back into my locker, and I was like, oh, my God. That was the craziest thing I've ever witnessed in my life. So, wait, do guys, that's always one of the great dilemmas, I think. Do you break up a naked shower fight? Like, the guys, <laughs> like, do you step in there and try to, like, get between them and break the fight up? How did the fight end? Do you remember? going to go to the ground in, in short order. So everyone just stands there until it goes to the ground, and then it's over. It's like a hockey fight. Yeah. Uh, and so that was your introduction to uh, to minor league baseball, to rookie ball. Yeah, so, so there you go. Here I am. I'm 18 years old, and that's my new world. I lived in a hotel that summer and experienced massive failure for the first time in my life athletically. I think I hit like 220 that year. I can't remember the specific number because I've tried to – it's like PTSD. I've tried to block it out of my memory. Um, led the team in doubles that year. Uh, but, man, it was uh, – it was, a, it was a tough year, but that was my first introduction into minor league baseball. Okay, so you think, though, as a young kid, the one thing you have as a young kid is you think, okay, I'm just going to get a lot better. So you finish rookie baseball. Uh, did you ever get peed on in the shower, by the way? Did anybody ever do that to you? No. No, I did not uh, get peed on. But rest assured, like, my Your head eyes was never on a swivel. Shut for long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my eyes never stayed shut for long for, from that time on in my entire career in gang showers. Everybody in the gang shower. <laughs> All right, so uh, so you go back, like, and eventually you start, I mean, you get assigned to a team, right? How many years did you play minor league baseball? And was there a moment where you were like, I just, I'm never going to be good enough at this? Because that's a tough moment for anybody yeah. to have that dream. Because when you get drafted when you're 18, you're in the 11th round, 100 billion percent you think, oh, I'm going to play Major League Baseball, right? I mean, there's just no doubt, yeah, I'm sure, I'm, in I'm your mind. I'm going to be the one that makes it. Yes, because it's a small yeah, number I'm, that I'm actually gonna makes it. I'm going to be the one that makes it. Yeah, there's that great so, story. There's a great story, by the way, about how when you're young, like you just don't really understand probability. And they were talking about the guys who stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. And they were like, I want you guys to look to your left and to your right. You know, like one of these guys is going to end up dead when they storm the beaches. And every guy like looks to his left or right. And he's like, oh, those poor, ba-, you know, that poor bastard. Like you never think it's going to yeah. be you that something bad happens. Right. You think you're going to beat the odds, right? It, when you're young, that's what you always think. So then you're in minor league baseball, you're 11th round pick, uh, and you start to have doubts win. And how long do you stay? Like what cities do you play in? Okay, so that first year I was just in rookie ball in Phoenix. Yep. So um, I was just in the Arizona League. And that entire summer, regardless of when, what, what went on, because of this thought in my head of, like, I'm so young, I'm going to get so much better. I led the team in doubles. You know, I'm just going to get stronger. I'm going to lift hard this off season. Like, I, I, I was all in. And I came back to the to the next spring training, and I was really strong. And I was really looking forward to a big year. Um, 
I, I had lifted with an, uh, an Olympic power lifter in the off season, got my legs much stronger. I came back with a lot more power and, you know, my BPs showed it. I, I was, I was excited for that second year. And that second year, I thought that I was going to go to the Eugene team, Eugene, Oregon. What the Padres were doing that second year is they were moving the rookie ball team from Arizona to Idaho Falls. And then they were moving the two short season teams. So it was going to be Idaho Falls and Eugene. Eugene would be kind of the higher A of the two short season teams. And I thought, okay, I'm going to progress to the Eugene team. I had a pretty good spring training and, and they kept us in extended spring, which I was expecting. And extended spring was going to be the two teams that, you know, were going to be the short season single A teams. Um, at the time now, I'm 19 years old. And in that extended spring, it started to go south. I started really struggling. Um, and because my identity was totally wrapped up in, in being a good player, I didn't know how to deal with that. And also for the first time, you know, this is a year and a half into having kind of my independence. And I also didn't know how to deal with that. So, and I've been very open about this. Like I started really struggling with alcoholism at a, at a young age. And that started directly impacting my ability to play well and, and my overall psyche. And you didn't and, have, and did you have, a, you didn't have a drinking issue you thought until you got into minor league baseball. Like I'm, I'm sure you probably drank a little bit in high school, but that's where you suddenly had yeah. the freedom and the ability to control your schedule in some way. That's right. That's right. And all of a sudden, and in particular in the off season leading into that, you know, like it became more a part of, of what we were doing and what I was doing. And, and I wouldn't say I had a problem before then. And then all of a sudden, then you start to throw in a lack of belief in yourself, um, a little bit of loss of identity. And then it, it became a huge issue. And I didn't have the, the wherewithal you know, as a man to deal with that. And, and so that extended spring has started going wrong. And then I got sent to Idaho Falls instead of Eugene. And it, it went on even more of a downward spiral. I had a terrible season. Um, I can just, I'll tell you a quick story. And I don't tell, I mean, it's a funny story, but it's, it's actually in hindsight, incredibly sad. That the only time I ever went four for four at Idaho Falls uh, with the Padres was because I had stayed up all night drinking rum and smoking Nicaraguan cigars with a couple of the guys on the team. And we did it just outside of the clubhouse and we just stayed there and, you know, you get done with the game late. So we did it until the sun came up and I thought for sure I wouldn't be in the lineup the next day, Clay. And sure enough, I walk into the the clubhouse at, you know, two o'clock the next afternoon and I was in the lineup at third base. I had moved to third base and, and I was so sick. Like you can imagine, right? You drink rum and smoke Nicaraguan cigars all night. I was so sick. And I didn't take BP because I thought if I swung the bat hard enough, I would just throw up. Did your manager like, know he, that you were that hungover? Is that why he put no, you in the lineup? No, no, no. No, no, no. no. He, I mean, he didn't have any idea. And, again, this is not like college or high school or anything like that. Your manager doesn't care about you. That's yeah. another thing about the professional games. Like, he's just putting the lineup. He doesn't come say hello. Yeah. He doesn't check on you. None of those things, right? Like, you're just expected to be ready to play. And so that night comes around, and I'm still as sick as you can possibly be. And I went up to the plate, and Clay, God is my witness, 
in the back of my head, I looked at my bat before I stepped into the box, and I thought to myself, if you swing and miss, you're going to throw up on the plate in front of everybody. <laughs> That's how hungover I mean, you still been, were. I mean, That's we, how sick. Yes. That... I mean, you've been there, right? Yeah, you've oh, yeah. 19 hurricanes before and slept in a gutter. Like, yes, yeah. And, and, and then... again, this is, not, this is funny, but it's also incredibly sad. Um, and so I took a couple of pitches until I had two strikes, hoping that he would just walk me. Yeah, and then finally, I'm like, I've I've got to at least try. Said I'm I'm swinging. I can't just go down looking. And so I took the shortest, quickest swing I've ever taken in my entire career. Bam! Just a single right up the middle. (laughs) And it's one of those balls that you know it clears the pitcher because I hit it pretty well, and I know it's going to be a single. I swear, I basically walked to first, (laughs) like. It was the slowest jog to first base. I know it's not a double. I get to first base, but the inning ends. Next at bat, similar type of thing. I know I've got a swing. Bam, line drive. Now it's to the left fielder, kind of walk to first. This whole time, I'm still sick as a dog. And finally, my third at bat, I hit this ball over the second baseman's head, and it's going to the right center gap. And I realize I'm going to have to try to leg out a double. And I'm like – and. I'm telling you, I took a big, deep breath coming out of the box, and I was like, do not breathe until you slide into second. And I held that breath the entire time, slide into second, and I'm like, don't don't puke, don't puke, don't puke, don't puke. <laughs> and I just, I stood up, dusted myself off, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to throw up on second base. But anyways, I ended up getting another hit, the last at bat. That was the only time I went four for four. And it was because I was so scared to swing and miss because I was going to throw up. That's a night. I went, I went back to my room that night, and I realized, like, this isn't for me. Um, something needs to change. And, and the something that needed to change wasn't because I wasn't going to make it to the big leagues. It was because my life was spiraling out of control, and I was only 19 years old. And so you're 19 at that point. When do you actually throw in the towel on the minor league baseball career? Okay, so uh, um, I start talking to my parents about, hey, you know, I don't know if this is for me. I think I want to go to school. So, so I actually applied at the University of Colorado just to get into school in that off season. And and my dad encouraged me. He was like give one more spring training a try, you know, and if it doesn't go well, then you can come back and go to school. Keep in mind, Clay, none of this conversation had to do with football. It was literally just like, you know, try it out. You know, I worked on my life a little bit during that time. Colorado had had in that off season. um, I came home and that's when they won the big 12 beat Texas and went and played Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. So they were, you know, ranked, in the top 10 in the country, I would go to the games. I was having so much fun. I was like, man, it would be amazing just to be a student, you know, and all my friends from high school were, were just students and having a great time in college. And I missed that. And, and so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go to Colorado, but I'm going to give this one more try and I'm going to give one more spring training a try. And I went down there and it didn't work out. You know, I, my head was just not in it at that point. I was pretty checked out. And so I made the decision after that spring training. So I was there for two full seasons and then uh, a little into the next spring training. 
before I decided to quit in May. So it was after spring training and extended spring training. I decided to quit, and I drove home and decided to go back to school. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmental Environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep. Sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you go back to school. We're talking to Joel Clad. I'm Clay Travis. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. Encourage you to, if you're enjoying this conversation, check out many of the other conversations we've had as well. One a week, you can subscribe at the Wins and Losses tab uh, in iTunes. So you are um, you are going back to college, thinking, okay, I'll go back to college. Does Colorado have any idea about you at all? Like, how do you go about deciding? Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll try and see if I can play college football. And for people out there who may not be aware. You had exhausted your eligibility to play college baseball, but you're still eligible to play college football if you so desire. And there's quite a few guys who have done this over the years. You're talented at baseball. You sign. It doesn't work out that well for you. And you decide, you know what, I'll go back to college and I'll play uh, college football. How do you – so you're admitted to Colorado as a regular student, I'm assuming. Uh, Yes. And and then – your school is paid, uh, the paid for by the by the major league team under your contract. 
Yeah, but it's, it's a reimbursement deal, so I would have to pay for school and then hand in my receipts and get okay. reimbursed up to like four grand a semester or something. I can't remember the exact thing, but that's kind of how it was working. And so in the meantime, I decided like, hey, you know, like, why don't why don't I try to like walk on? You know, this is this is going to be a fun deal. And so I went and I met with the coach who recruited from the area where my dad was a head coach. So he had been there. I'd been to their football camp, um, you know, just as a, a high school kid, just to be, you know, out there and throw the football around. So I met, I went and met with him. His name was Sean Watson. And he said, he, you know, he said, well, this is great. You know, if you're, if you're coming, then you're going to be preferred walk on. And, and it shocked me, his kind of like excitement about me coming. And it didn't really register. I was like, oh, you know, okay. So I started working out with the team in that summer. And um, I started throwing in seven-on-seven seven and things like that. And there were some guys, there were some older guys that were really good players at the time, you know, all Big 12-type players. And they would come up to me and they were like, hey, <clears throat> you know, like, where are you from? You know, where were you, were you recruited, this and that? And I would tell them my story and they were all kind of shocked. They were like, what? like, you haven't played football in three years? And I'm like, no, you know, and, and the last time I did, I ran the option. <laughs> yeah. And and it was like this this eye-opening thing of like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm decent at this. I didn't play. I had no idea. I ran the option. We were in the shotgun two games in my high school where I had no idea that I would have the ability to even be on the depth chart at Colorado. It wasn't until I was there and practicing in that summer that I thought to myself, Oh, this is, you know, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be really fun. Um, and then as I got into that season and, and I got into college and started being a student, I loved it. Like everything I hated about being a minor league baseball player was the exact opposite about being in college and, and playing for the university of Colorado. Like it was amazing. You know, instead of, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner every night and top ramen and cup of noodles we were getting like full training table yeah like they gave us a steak like one of my first nights i was like oh my gosh this is this is incredible guys the salad dressing is real like this is insane you know like it was that type of euphoria i loved it clay and then as the season started to get underway I, you know, I didn't realize I was a decent player, but I was a decent player. And, and I gravitated towards the schematics of the game. We ran a pro-style offense. It's something that was kind of right up my alley. And so all of a sudden, by the time the second or third game rolled around, I was on the travel squad as a true freshman walk-on. And, and I'll always be grateful to, to Gary Barnett, who was the head coach at the time, because he really didn't care how you got there. He only cared if you played well. And so there was no politics involved. There was other true freshman quarterbacks that were recruited. They would probably, I don't know what they had promised or if they had promised anything to these guys. And it didn't matter. Like, I made the travel squad. And then by the end of the year, I was the third-string quarterback. And the two guys ahead of me were both seniors. And so during the middle of that true freshman year, um, I started to realize, like, I'm, I'm going to have a chance to play. And so to go from I'm quitting baseball for because I'm ruining my life and I need my degree to, you know, less than a year later, this epiphany of I'm going to have a great chance to be the starting quarterback at Colorado. It was like the, the, 
the most drastic switch. And I think it's something that gets lost when people just hear my story. They just think, oh, he quit baseball to go back and play football. But that really wasn't the case. So my life was changed in a massive way in the positive direction. Um, you know, when I made that decision to quit baseball and go back to Colorado, and it started setting me up for the rest of, of what has happened since. So I, I want to hit on this because I think people probably find it fascinating. You were talking about how much better you were treated as a Colorado football player than as a minor league baseball player. How much better did you guys travel? You said you got on the travel squad. How much better was travel <laughs> for college football compared to travel for minor league baseball? It's not even close. It's not even close. I'll just give you a couple of quick stories. Okay, so first of all, um, when I was in Idaho Falls, we had this bus, and it was straight out of Bull Durham. It was like a 1960s manual transmission bus with a rounded silver back. And I'm talking like, Trey, wait, manual, like. And you guys would have some long-ass rides, right? Yeah, six, seven, eight, 12, you know, 12 hours to Medicine Hat, Canada. So just to give you a quick story, we're driving from Casper, Wyoming, back to Idaho Falls. In Casper, Wyoming, you've got to drive right over the Teton Mountains, over these really kind of scary mountain passes to get back to Idaho Falls. And the bus driver would always, on our getaway day, he would get one hotel room that we would, you know, retain for the day so he could sleep all day so he could drive us back all night because we didn't play day games. So we'd play at 7 p.m. and then at, you know, 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we'd get in the bus in order to go back home. And it was going to be like a five- or six-hour ride. So he would always sleep all day in order to drive us all night. Well, this night in Casper, Wyoming, I tapped my buddy on the shoulder, and I'm like, hey, isn't that our bus driver? And sure enough, our bus driver is there having a Michelob Ultra in, like, the second row. <laughs> like, just having a beer like, and, a, and a dog. Like, hey, enjoying the game of baseball. America's pastime, everybody. Go get a baby. And I'm like, what in the world? Well, later that night, we're driving over the Tetons, and we're, you know, winding back and forth. We couldn't be going more than 15, 20 miles an hour on some of these switchbacks up these mountains with this big manual transmission bus. And he pulls over. And you can hear kind of the gravel of the shoulder. And he pulls over, and I'm like, great, this bus just broke down. And no, no, our bus driver decided he was tired from his Mick Ultra and his, and his Dodger dog in the third inning at the Casper Rockies game. And he pulled a pillow down from, from above him and took a nap for two hours <laughs> on the side of the road. Just laying on the ground? No, 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 in his seat. So he's in the driver's seat. Oh, wow. He just lays the pillow against the window and just, like, leans against the window. Guys were yelling, like, you know, in Spanish. We had a Korean guy named Young Jing Jung. He's yelling in Korean. We're yelling in English, like, come on, let's go. Dude just slept, zonked out for two hours, and we sat there motionless in this manual transmission 1965, you know, Bull Durham bus. Then you fast forward, and now I'm going to Colorado, and the first road trip that we took was out to play UCLA at the Rose Bowl in September. That was the very first trip that we took. Well, we drive, you know, four of the most beautiful buses you can possibly take from Boulder down to the airport in Denver. We go right onto the tarmac. There's no security. We, rock, we walk right up onto the plane. Well, all our seats are assigned. We get there. Our seat, in our seats, there's two foot-long sub sandwiches. There's Gatorade. There's cookies. We fly. We land in L.A. There is a motorcade 
for us to go to our hotel so we can beat traffic. So there's six, you know, uh, motorcycle cops traveling around. We get to the hotel. We just had two foot long sandwiches in the in the plane, but now we've got a full buffet spread that includes lasagna and prime rib and ice cream Snicker bars for dessert. Like it doesn't even compare. It, I thought I had made it, man. When I got to that that first road trip, I remember calling my dad and I was like, Dad, you'll never believe it. They serve gravy for the prime rib. You know, I, like that had blown my mind. I had had mayonnaise sandwiches before for a spread in minor league baseball, and and here we are having prime rib for dinner. What? Uh, by the way, did you remember getting taunted in minor league baseball? Like, do you ever remember a time when you're like, I just oh, want to kill some guy? Like, I always because I always think about low level minor league. There's always hecklers, and there had to be some times where you're like, because the stadiums aren't that big, where you're standing there in the on deck circle or whatever, and you really legitimately just want to turn around and murder somebody in the stands. Do you remember that feeling? Clay, you're going to need two hours to get through all of this because <laughs> I've got stories for days about minor league baseball from the, from the golden shower to the nap of the bus driver to the beer batter. Let me just tell you about the beer batter. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, um, well, first of all, we were playing in Ogden, Utah. And in Ogden, Utah, the opposing, like, you know, field operations team, their, like, whole deal, they would choose an opposing player to be the beer batter. And if the beer batter struck out, it was 10-cent beers for that half <laughs> inning. And you're wondering, like, wait, didn't you say Utah? That's right, Ogden, Utah, the most progressive city in Utah, and, and they actually did sell beer, very different than Provo, which is the most conservative place in Utah. So they did serve beer at the Ogden Osprey game, okay, the, uh, Ogden Osprey. Nice park, and it was always pretty full because, like, they did a nice job. And so there's probably, shoot, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 people um, at this game, and, and they choose me as the beer batter. Yeah. So I'm designated as the beer batter, and you know it, right? Like, it comes up on the scoreboard and like people are like clapping for you. You know, you walk up there as a road player and they're like, all right, buddy, you can do it. You can do it. 10 cents. You know, people are yelling like, I'll share with you. I'll buy one after the game for you. <laughs> you know, things like that. And, and before you go up, it's kind of funny. You know, and you think like, oh, I'm going to show these guys I'm going to hit a jack or something like that. Well, my first at bat, like, Take strike one, foul a ball off, good swing. Then I connect on one, just like, bam, and I hit it really good. And I kind of pull this line drive right over the third baseman's head. And it's curling, it's curling, it's curling. And it's like, is it fair? Is it foul? Oh, it's foul. But, man, like, like I ripped it. So I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I put two good swings on it. I'm good to go. I'm not going to strike out. I go back into the into the um, batter's box, and this dude throws me a slider on the outside, and I swing and miss, and the place erupts, right? So, like, boom, strike three. Yeah! All right, way to go! You know, like, place erupts. Ten-cent beers, everybody hits the concourse. So now there's, like, from 3,000 people in the stands, now there's 1,500 because everybody hits the concourse. So now my second at bat, I go up there, and now there's a little bit more buzz. You know, oh, yeah. not only are they a little lubricated, but now they're like, "Oh, you know, here's our guy. He's, you know, come on, do it again. You can do it, man. Trust me, I'll share with you." And I'm a little miffed. You know, I'm a little pissed off about it, and I'm like, "No, you know, now, now I'm going to hit a jack." 
I foul a couple more balls off. Sure enough, swing and miss. Strike three. The place goes bazonkers. Uh, I'm just like, God, like, damn it. What in the world? I'm like walking back to the dugout, and there was this one guy, and he was standing right by the on-deck circle as I'm walking back to the dugout, and he was like, you're my hero! Before he runs up the stairs, and I was so pissed off. Little did I know that there's a rule for the beer batter. If the beer batter takes the sombrero, three strikeouts in the game as the beer batter, they give away a free beer to whoever wants it. Now it's like the sixth inning, and I'm on deck, and the place is already on their feet, like clapping in unison while I'm on freaking deck. Mortified, play. I'm freaking mortified. And so I'm doing everything I can not to strike out. Everything I can not to strike Did out. Did you think about and bunting? Sure enough. Did you think about bunting at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. I even, before I went up, I asked my buddy, David Georges, who was my roommate, uh, Gorgeous Georges. And I was like, hey, dude, do you think I should bunt? And he looked at me, and he was like, bro, you cannot bunt. He was like, man up and get a hit. He was like, they, they will burn the place down if you bunt. So I'm like, thanks a lot, you know, like here. And so I go up there. Clay, I struck out for a third time, took the sombrero as the beer batter, and the place erupted and started throwing their empty beer, uh, uh, plastic beer mugs, onto the field as I walked back to the home, uh, into the dugout. I was so mad. I was so mad. Needless to say, anytime like we went and played a road game in, in college football, nothing was as bad as taking the sombrero as the beer batter in Ogden, Utah. So I didn't care what people said to me in football. I was like, oh, man, at least I didn't take the sombrero. Was it I the literally same? brought that stadium to its knees, and they were throwing their empty beer mugs out onto the field. Was it the same pitcher who got you all three times? No, it wasn't. It was a reliever by the time. they. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't. If it was, they would have run out and put him on his shoulders. But, uh, I mean, he would have been the hero. Did you, uh, uh, like, when you come back into the dugout and, like, I mean, it's minor. Like, I would just find it impossible not to be laughing. Like, how are your teammates reacting oh, when you yeah. come? Like, they all loved well, it, right? That, that was part of the thing that pissed me off the most is I came in and I wasn't super fond of my manager. <laughs> And this jerk said to me, he was like, well, at least somebody's happy. And I was like, hey, like, <laughs> screw you, you know? <laughs> Again, this is not like high school coach-player relationship. There was no pats on the back. It was basically just like, at least somebody's happy. <laughs> like, hey, you know, don't screw yourself. Oh, my God. So this, the, the, that, that is pretty awesome. Like, the beer, I mean, that is amazing. Do you think they're still allowed to do that? I don't know. I'm sure that they do. Minor league baseball games are amazing. Um, I would highly suggest it for anybody out there that has a minor league team close. Things like that go on all the time. It's it's good. I mean, that doesn't sound like good family fun, but trust me, it's good family fun. But uh, needless to say, that season, uh, being the beer batter and, and taking the, the, the sombrero uh, led to my belief that I was not uh, a, a professional baseball player any longer. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 
This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Hannah Storm and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so back to – that's an amazing story, by the way. We're talking to Joel Clad. I'm Clay Travis. This is Wins and Losses. Back to Colorado. You come back – You're the two seniors you said are graduating. You come back as a sophomore. Do you start – when do you start your first game for Colorado? Yeah. Yeah, that was, and I was still a walk-on at the time. You know, Gary Barnett said, hey, you know, I've got older guys that have earned the scholarship, and I know you're going to be our starter, but you're still going to be a walk-on. So I started that season as a sophomore um, as a walk-on. In fact, my very first game, it it just goes to show you that I I started out really good and then maybe never quite equaled my first game. But my very first game as a starter, um, we played Colorado State. They were ranked. They were favored. It was that mile high, uh, you know, 76,000 people. It was a great environment. We ended up winning the game like 42-35 or something like that. I threw for over 400 yards in my very first start, and I was actually named the National Player of the Week. So on Monday morning after the game, um, we're in our team meeting, and that's when Coach announced it to the team. that like, hey, Joel won the award, you know, yesterday. He was named the National Player of the Week. And, you know, the, the team kind of does the whole, eh! you know, and they're giving me, you know, noogies and whatever. 
And right after that meeting, I actually had to walk to the bursar's office and, and hand them my personal check for my tuition. Wow. <laughs> I always I always loved that. Now, I was going to get reimbursed. I, I don't want to yeah. make it sound like, oh, I was paying for my own school. I was going to get reimbursed. But at the same time, like, it was, it was just one of those things that you would never think would happen. And uh, so that happened. So anyways, I, I started that year. And then I ended up starting for three seasons and um, had the time of my life. I absolutely loved it. What does it feel like to run out onto the field as, like you talked about how you didn't really ever anticipate that when you quit baseball, you would be a starting quarterback for Colorado. You're playing at mile high. You yeah. grew up as a Denver Bronco fan. You grew up watching the University of Colorado not far away in Boulder. What's it feel like to run out in front of 76,000 people as the starting quarterback for the first time? Oh man, it was like how nervous were you? What did it feel like? Um, Oh, I can't even explain how nervous I was. You know, I can't, you know, you can't feel your feet. You can't really feel your hands. Um, I can remember, you know, I I walked up to the center uh, for my first snap. And when I looked up, the jumbotron was right above me and it was just my face. And I was, my heart kind of sunk. I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, am I really doing this? Um, but as time went on, you know, it it changed. And, Clay, you know, one of the interesting parts was I started to be one of those guys that was, like, ultra prepared. So I would watch a ton of film, take a ton of notes, and I was most comfortable on the field during the game. And so all week I would be nervous and I would be, you know, kind of like, wanting to prepare more and wondering, you know, what's going on there. I'd have to talk to the media all day. And it was candidly kind of a high anxiety time for me during the weeks of preparation. But then what I always found so fascinating is that the one time that I would relax all week was when I got to run out and get into the huddle for the first snap. It was like all the pressure and preparation were gone, and you just got to go play finally. And it was that way for the rest of my career after that first game of those nerves. <clears throat> Every time I would walk out there, it would just be like a big sigh of relief. And it was always one of those feelings that I'll never forget, and it was one of the best feelings uh, that I've ever had. What does it feel like? because most people are never going to know the feeling, to win a huge rivalry game as a starting quarterback in college <laughs> football and come back to the campus after the game. Like, is there inter- any better Is there any better feeling in life than having just won a huge college football game and you walk into, like, a party and, I mean, you literally are the biggest man on campus. Like, like there's, I can't yeah. imagine there's a better feeling than being the star quarterback on a team that just won a game, or just the quarterback. Period. You don't have to be a star. Just the guy who's on yeah. the team. Like, you're the starting quarterback, and you win. What does that feel like? To is, I mean, like, I can't even imagine. I can certainly imagine, but it had to be. I mean, it had to be like, like feeling like you were your mythical figure almost, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely surreal, and and you start to and that's why I try to give these kids the benefit of the doubt when they kind of when they act a bit full of themselves or when they misstep on social media is because their their frame of reference of reality is so skewed because exactly of what you said. 
Um, I'm not going to get into every story because, you know, I'm happily married. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I will say um, that after the my first year starting as a sophomore, I was actually not dating my now wife. Uh, we ended up dating in college, but we were not together at the time. And so we were – I was living in this house – and it was me and one other of my teammates that actually went to a neighboring high school uh, of, of mine. And then it was three guys that he went to high school with that I knew from childhood that didn't play. <clears throat> so, Clay. You talk about guys were, who hit the jackpot. They got to live with the starting quarterback, yes, and they were just like normal yes. college dudes. And so we were in this five-bedroom house, like, on the hill in Boulder, which is like a no- notorious kind of party spot. And – not only would they come to the games, but they would all, like, <laughs> this is so stupid. We went to a bowl game my true freshman year, and so we had, like, our jerseys given to us if you go to a bowl game. <clears throat> so I had the white jersey that, uh, that I wore as a true freshman with the Alamo Bowl patch. Well, my roommate used to steal it out of my closet and wear it to the game. <laughs> and he would <laughs> – his, his name was Brett Bankston, and he called himself Brett the Jet. And he had this blue, he had this blue blazer that with the gold buttons, like an old school blue blazer with the gold buttons that he called the Porsche. Yeah. And so he <laughs> and he would introduce himself to like all the coeds as Brett the Jet, and did they want to take a ride in the Porsche? <laughs> I mean, it's just the worst, right? It's just the worst. And so, anyways, Brett would recruit a party always, and when we would show back up after games, our house would be like shoulder-to-shoulder packed. Like, I could barely get down. My my room was downstairs, and I could barely get downstairs to my room to, like, dump my bag off because we would have been in the hotel the, the, the night before. So it was it was certainly a weird and wild time. One of the kids that we lived with, it was his parents owned the house, and so he was technically the landlord, and he had his parents put a hot tub <laughs> in, in, in the living room. And so we used to come. We used to come home, and Brett would be in my jersey in the hot tub, <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of girls. I mean, just I mean, a mass amount of people. Yes, there would just be. I mean, there was probably hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousand people at this five bedroom house. It was it was wild, but that was always the case. Oh, that is absolutely amazing. Now I, I've heard you tell this story before, but certainly other people haven't. So you end up dating your now wife. And you're playing Texas. This is one of the great stories. And, like, you're all hyped up. You go out to the coin flip at the middle of the field. You're about to play Texas. And is it a Big 12 title game or, like, a huge game? No. This one, it was a pretty big game. um, But this one was when I was a junior. So this is Vince Young's first year year starting. So they're not going to win the national title this year. That's going to be the next year. This is 2004, and they came to Boulder to play us in Boulder. And Mac Brown used to rotate captains. Uh, so he would have four new captains every week, whereas we were always the same four for our team. So we would always go out for the coin flip. And I never paid much attention to the opposing offense at all. I didn't, ha- I didn't have, I had no idea who the other players were. I mean, maybe the star quarterback or whatever, but I didn't really know or care. So I went out to the coin flip. And Sarah and I were dating at the time and, and, and pretty serious um, at the time. And she was from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and went to high school in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. And so we go out to the coin flip, 
And since the game is in Boulder, Mac made one of the kids from Colorado who was on Texas a captain. Well, he had also gone to Highlands Ranch High School. And so we get out there for the coin flip, and this guy, he was an offensive lineman named Casey Stuttered. And, and I had no idea who he was. And so he says to me, the first thing he says is we're shaking hands even before the coin is flipped. And he was like, hey, how's Sarah? And I thought that he maybe like read an article or something about talking about, you know, because it, it was publicized that I was, you know, I had this girlfriend or whatever. People can find that sort of stuff. And I thought he had found it and was like talking trash. And so I lost it on him. Like, midfield before the game. I was like, you son of a... I start laying into him. I was like, F you. You know, like, you're a piece of crap, this and that. And and the official, who I always had good relationship with, because the white hat and the quarterback always have to know each other, and we're always talking with each other. He was like, Joel, Joel, like, calm, like, calm down. What are you doing? I'm like, this son of... You know, blah, blah, blah. My, my teammates are like, what's happening right now? And he he looked shocked. I was like, why does this guy look like a deer in the headlights right now? He's going to talk crap, and then he's you know he's all upset that, that I'm going off on him. And so we go get through with the coin flip and everything, go through the game. We, we get beat. They're a great team, obviously. We get beat. I'm super pissed. And later that night, I'm sitting there with, with my now wife, Sarah, and, and, I, and I remember this story. And I was like, oh, yeah, how about this? And I would always, like, rant to her about the games. And I'm like, oh, and how about this? Some idiot on the other team named Casey Stuttered asked about you at the coin flip. And I was like, I was so pissed off. I went, and she goes, oh, how's Casey? <laughs> Felt like such an idiot. So they were high school friends. Oh, that is amazing. Have you ever seen that guy since? Yeah, I've seen him. His dad played for the Broncos at one point, so he's been back in Colorado since uh, when I still lived there. And I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, hey, man, I, I need to apologize about that coin flip. And he starts howling, laughing. And he was like, yeah, I realized something was off when you got so pissed. And <laughs> oh, but just hit her reaction. I wish you could have seen her reaction because I'm gruff and mad and telling it, you know. And then this, this offensive lineman, Casey Stuttered, she just interrupts me right away. How's Casey? Like as soft and sweet as she possibly can. I was so pissed. Uh, speaking of which, uh, so you continue there. I want to, like, you took some amazing hits, and I see them all the time because, you know, we'll end up tagged on each other when we're going back and forth on Twitter. And there's a, there's a lot of gifts out there of you just getting lit up. What is the most yeah. common one that you get sent, and what was the worst hit you ever took while you were playing quarterback at Colorado? The worst one um, is actually one that's not a gift, but the one I get sent the most is the one from the Big 12 championship game in 05. Texas is undefeated on their way to the national championship game. That was my last game at the University of Colorado. My last play knocked me out, put me in the hospital. I think his name is Drew Kelson. And <laughs> that son of a bee personally sends it to me on Twitter. Drew Kelson actually, from his account, always sends me the video, and he, and he just says, like, what up, bro? And I'm just like, you know, like, get over it. So that one gets sent to me a lot. The John Beeson hit from Miami, in which John Beeson collected a bounty from Nevin Shapiro oh, which was in that Yahoo article. And that's why, like, he goes – he goes completely after you. Like, it, you're trying to, like, you're totally out of the play, and he just goes after you to hit you, which later makes sense because he's getting a bounty. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm five yards behind. A guy, it was like a fumble, and it was a fumble return. I'm chasing after the guy. He's five yards ahead of me, and clearly I'm not going to catch him. And Beeson, he basically suplexed me on the field. He, like, lifts me up over his shoulder and, like, slams me on the ground. Then he starts going crazy, jumping up and down. He's like, I'm $500 richer. <laughs> <laughs> and later you're like, oh, that makes sense. You were one of the bounties in the Nevin Shapiro case. That's right. The only thing that pisses me off is that Chris Ricks had a higher bounty than I did. Oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, and so you finished your career, all right, and did you think you had any chance at the NFL at all by the time you're done? Um, yeah, I, you know, an outside shot at it. Um, obviously, my concussion history did not help, so I was, I was pulled from the Senior Bowl and I was pulled from the Combine, which didn't help my, my chances, but I went undrafted to Detroit, New Orleans, earned contract to both of those places, Went to training camp with Detroit. My heart was just never quite in it because of the head injury deal and, and the way that everything ended at Colorado. And so that kind of ended, and it, that was all right with me. Um, you know, I had a great time in those training camps, and, and I was probably the type of guy that could have been a backup for a while. I don't think I would have ever been a starting quarterback by any means, but I could have been a backup, one of those guys that knows the playbook, doesn't threaten the starter been a uh, backup for you know any number of years but it just wasn't it wasn't in the cards for me and that's fine um and and candidly it's it worked out for the better because once I got out of football and came back to Colorado I was able to kind of move forward in my career and at first I thought that was going to be an investment banking I was an economics major clay and I got a, a job with a small REIT in Denver, and I would raise the equity sections of speculative real estate projects. And this is like in 2006 and seven, right before the market crashed. And so needless to say, we raised some money for some spec homes that totally folded, and that company totally folded. And so here I am like two years out of college, and <clears throat> I'm jobless. I'm married. I'm jobless. I have no way. And, and in the meantime, I had been asked by Fox Sports Rocky Mountain, the local regional sports network, to fill in on some high school football games because they knew I was in town. And they had done the magazine show for the University of Colorado, and I had done the magazine show obviously several times being the quarterback there. And so once they realized I was in town, they were like, hey, you know, hey, we need a fill-in for this high school football game. And so I did that a couple of times. And they always encouraged me, like, hey, you should do that more. So while I had this job in investment banking, I was also on the side doing these small broadcasting gigs and didn't have a broadcasting background or anything. Well, in the meantime, that started to kind of grow to the point that once I lost that job in the real estate company and that company folded, my wife and I decided, like, hey, let's give broadcasting a shot. And maybe you could make this an actual living. And that was in 2008. And, um, you know, here, here we are 11 years later. All right. So you decide to take it, make an actual shot of it in 2008. What do you do from there? Like you call these high school games. I'm assuming you do a pretty good job calling yeah. high school games. But then how do you advance that beyond doing an occasional high school <clears throat> football game? So, and this is maybe, you know, we've told some funny stories and everything and I'm and hopefully people are entertained, but if they're wanting to get anything from actual wins and losses perspective about, you know, career management or, or career arc, one of the things that my wife um, really encouraged me to do was two things <clears throat> network really well, and also make your intentions known to your bosses. 
So the first guy that ever hired me for those high school football games, he used to ask me, like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'd love to do college football. You know, and I always tell him flat out, that's what I want to do. That was the job I was trying to get. So when things came up that I didn't know about but that he did, he actually put me up for those jobs. And one of those jobs was that he sent a tape, unbeknownst to me, down to Dallas to Fox Sports Southwest for me to be on their studio show for the Big 12 package of FSN Southwest games. And they called me and said, hey, Ken Miller, Ken Miller was his name, this executive in Denver. And Ken Miller sent us your tape. We want you to be on our studio. And so the fact that that Sarah encouraged me to, to be honest about my intentions and to also, you know, network well throughout my time with those executives paid off in a huge way because Ken, on my behalf, got me another gig without me even knowing it. And he did that because he wanted to see, you know, me kind of grow and flourish. And, and Episton Rocky Mountain didn't have high school football games. So I go down there and I do the studio show, you know, halftime's free games for FSN Southwest. And this is in now 2009. Well, I did the same thing with their executives. They would say like, well, what do you want to do? And I would say, I want to call college football games. And so when the opportunity came up, there was a pay-per-view game that uh, Fox Sports was going to produce, but that was going to be between Nebraska and Kansas State. And this is in the Ron Prince era era with Josh Freeman at quarterback and then Dominican Sue as a tackle for the Cornhuskers. And so they let me go and call that game. Well, as I started getting more experience, they, th- they thought, well, you're probably, you know, want to do these games. You're really good at these games. That's what they told me. And we're going to give you a package of games. So by 2010, I had a package of college football games on FSN Southwest. And that's when Clay, Eric Shanks, saw a game that I was, tell, uh, that I was on. <clears throat> and it was a Texas Tech versus Kansas State game. Nondescript game. And there was a kickoff return by Tyler Lockett, if you remember this. I believe it was Tyler Lockett. It was a Kansas State player, one of their good returners. And and I made the comment, because I had always heard this in, in special teams meetings and just growing up, you know, being around football, is that one of the things that you have to have as a returner is that you've got to be decisive, right? You can't, as they would say, you, you can't wonder where you're going. Like, you've got to pick a whole a direction and go. you got to be decisive with where you're headed. And I said that on the air. And for whatever reason, you know, Eric Shanks, who's the president now and and CEO of Fox Sports, he heard that and he thought, boy, I've never heard that before. And he had been around sports television for a long time and he thought it was unique and he thought it was interesting. And that put me on his radar. And once I was on his radar, everything else started to fall into place. And I started getting bigger packages within Fox. They moved me out to, to L.A. once FS1 started. And, and that was that natural progression, and, and that's kind of how it happened. But by no means did I set out in this, you know, business and, and sat in a – I never sat in a, in a college classroom and thought, I want to be a broadcaster. It was literally born out of necessity. I didn't have a job. It was the only thing that I could earn a few dollars at at the time as I was unemployed, and then it's worked out from there. What were you making doing those high school games? I think I, I think they paid me $125, or maybe it was 200 No, it wasn't 200 It was $125. And then even when you're doing, I bet, Fox Sports Southwest, you're not making very much money doing those either, right? 
No, so I would go down for the weekend and for all day Saturday. I think they gave me, I think it was eleven hundred dollars. Yeah, for the for a Saturday, <clears throat> and and it was just a day rate, and it was just the you know twelve Saturdays a year. So you know thirteen thousand dollars. In the meantime, yeah, and in the meantime, I had actually uh, gotten a local radio show. Yeah, and and that radio show was on like the worst station that you could possibly be on. No one listened to it. You know, the finances were all bad. And and so they agreed to have me a part of their afternoon drive show. And we agreed on $16,000 a year. And I was like, okay, you know, and you couple that with the Big 12 Saturdays and maybe some games here or there. And, you know, maybe I could make thirty grand this year. And I thought, all right, this is going to be great. And so the problem was is that they wouldn't go after their vendors well enough and they weren't making any money so they never actually paid me the sixteen thousand dollars or whatever we agreed to so i would get checks every two weeks just personal checks for like 275 dollars or the next week would be like 350 dollars and i would bring them home and look at sarah and she'd be like is this it and i'd be like yeah i mean like this is it and Clay, so much credit for everything that I've been able to accomplish goes to my wife because I asked her so many times, babe, I can be a coach tomorrow in college football. And she would always say, no, you're really good at this. This is going to work out. And if it wasn't for her and her confidence in me during those times when I was making $350 every two weeks, there's no way I'd be in this business. I also think one picking the right spouse is incredibly important. You got to win there, <clears throat> no matter what you do. But I always like to ask the money question because I feel like, and I'm sure you see this now too. So many people expect immediate returns, and in order to be successful in most things, you have to grind for a long time. I've talked about how much yeah. I wrote before I made anything for what I was writing, and before that led into radio or TV. And I feel like there's so many people out there, a lot of them young who are listening right now, that expect that instant gratification. And our industry doesn't really provide it. No, it doesn't. And and I completely agree with you. I, I think, and I'm going to relate it to not only people in general, but more specifically ex-athletes. Um, I, I find this every time I talk with former teammates or guys that get done playing, whether it's college or in the NFL, they've excelled at such a high level. And for them, you know, toiling in the bottom of an industry right now would feel like going back to Little League football. And and in their mind, they're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm above that. And and I think that we have way too much entitlement going on in, in the professional landscape of our country. You are not entitled to anything, anything. You have to work diligently for next to nothing early in order to get to where you're going. Because this is the, the dirty secret that no one wants to tell those people. And, and they tend to be young, and I don't want to group them just as young people, but th- that group of people that is entitled and refuses to do that toil, Clay, no one tells them you're not worth anything yet. Yeah, Your work is not worth anything yet. I wasn't good enough to make more money. At that point, you know why? Because advertisers or because people, a lot, 
you know, people weren't watching enough of it. So advertisers wouldn't pay an X amount of dollars. I couldn't command more money than the company was bringing in based on my show. You know, that's just, that's just a preposterous sentiment to think that you are worth something that you are not. You know, you, you've got to be realistic about what your value is and how to build that value. That sounded doomsday. I'm not. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just saying, like, at times you've got to understand that in order to get where you're going, you got to grind. You have to grind. I, I just, you know, when I started Outkick as a website, first of all, I wrote for years and years, making virtually nothing, practicing law full time, grinding away on articles, whether people liked them or not. I started a website thinking, hey, I'm going to be able to bring in a lot of other people who want to do what I do. It was amazing to me how few people would write even one article for free or who would put in the time to write. Nobody was virtually willing to put in the time to write five or ten or a hundred like I did before I worried about any kind of compensation, just worried about getting better. Um, and I think that's the story certainly of the sports media industry is you got to just be able to yeah. put your head down and not really focus on what you're getting right now. And I'll, I'll, I'll give my wife credit, the same kind of credit that you gave your wife, like she recognized the talent and said, keep doing this, you know, even while I'm practicing law full time. And so when I decide to take off and write a book about going around to all 12 SEC football stadiums because I love college football, she encouraged it. I feel like there are a lot of people yeah. out there that will discourage their spouses who are talented in something because they're so worried about the right now as opposed to the what could be and believing in the future is a big part of any kind of success, I think. And, and I think that this, that's really kind of the story of this wins and losses podcast. Well, not only that, but, but you can go back to the Gladwellian theory of the 10,000 hours. Yeah. You know, no, no one, no one is great at what they do just because they tell you they are, you know, you're, you're great at what you do because you've practiced it thousands and thousands of times. She always knew my wife and I always knew that that radio show that, that paid me basically zero dollars was instrumental in helping me learn how to develop arguments, talk for three hours at a time. You know, I, I used to stumble on my words quite a bit when I first started doing high school football games and I wasn't as clean on camera. That radio show that nobody listened to, that I made no money for every single day for three hours, that's what got me my jobs afterwards i i was so much better after that if i would have said no way i'm not going to do that because you aren't paying me i would never be where i'm at right now because i wouldn't have developed the skills necessary in order to be where i'm at right now fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app search fsr to listen live This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) 
<sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You also don't know another big lesson here, and we're talking to Joel Klatt, Wins and Losses podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Joel Klatt. Subscribe if you're enjoying these conversations. If you like this one, you'll probably like others as well. You also never know when somebody's watching. Because you're calling a game that is – it's not like you were calling Michigan-Ohio State at the time where there's 10 million people watching it or whatever the number is. You're calling a relatively anonymous Big 12 game, and Eric Shanks, who's the president of Fox Sports, happens to be watching, and he's got his antenna up trying to find young talent all the time because of the industry that we're in. Boom, he suddenly recognizes you. You're on his radar, and that leads to you having opportunities, which is where we met for the first time which is in 2013 when they were doing all the auditions for FS1. I was one of the panelists. You were one of the hosts, and this is credit to you. I thought you were a professional TV guy by that point as opposed to a former athlete, which I think is the best thing you can honestly tell someone who has a background in athletics is you're good enough at what you're doing that the background in athletics almost doesn't even factor in. Well, and, and that was another thing that I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least touch on quickly in, in this podcast, which was the fact that um, I did not pigeonhole myself into a corner. <clears throat> you know, I could have said, I'm just a football analyst. That's all I'm going to do. Don't ask me to do other things. You know, the, the Fox Sports Rocky Mountain people asked me to be an analyst for the Colorado Rockies on their pre- and post-game show because of my minor league baseball background, and I did that, even though I was somewhat uncomfortable because I had never played major league baseball. They asked me then to be the host of that same baseball uh, pre- and post-game show. I had never hosted anything a day in my life, but I did it, you know, because I knew that being versatile was going to pay off in the end. 
the the only reason that FS1 asked me to come out to to LA and be a part of the launch of FS1 was because I had that background as a host for FSN Rocky Mountain, which was then Root Sports hosting the Rockies pre and post game shows, which Clay I had never done before before that season. Yeah. So all of these doors opened up because I didn't pigeonhole myself. I networked well, and I was willing to make $300 every two weeks doing a radio show no one ever listened to. Those, those are the wins. You know, the win is not when Fox says, hey, we want you to be our lead announcer with, with Gus Johnson for Michigan-Ohio State. That's great. You know, that's the gravy, and that's the frosting of, and, and the reward of all the hard work. The wins came far before that when you were willing to do the work necessary in order to get better, in order to get more opportunities, in order to be seen by more people, in order to have more opportunities than even after that, in order to take advantage of those opportunities to get the jobs that we want. You also have to be willing to do things that make you uncomfortable and that you're not really prepared for. I'll give you an example. I had never done a highlight on television in my life. I had never even sat at the desk before. And then in the first year of FS1, they set me down at the table and they said during a halftime show, hey, you've got this highlight. I didn't even know there was a television screen in the desk. Like I had never even (laughs) sat at the desk before we're on live television doing a highlight. We did the Fox College football kickoff show. I had never been in a television studio before we started that first year on the Fox College football kickoff show. That's a great point. You know, that's a that's a great point. I had never read a teleprompter before I came out to L.A. Yeah. You know, there's there's things like that are littered. In fact, this last year they asked me to do golf. Yeah, and you've done and that. I should have even mentioned I, that. Yeah. I, I jumped at the opportunity, and the reason is is because I know that versatility is valuable. And the more things that, that I can do, the more valuable I am to Fox Sports. And, and I could have said, no, no, I've made it. You know, I've got my lead college football gig, but I was anxious and nervous about going and interviewing these golfers, you know, and, and I had never asked people questions on TV before. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a reporter. And and here I am at the U.S. Open, you know, sitting there in my suit with Brooks Kepka and Tiger Woods and, and the like and Justin Rose asking them about their rounds. Certainly uncomfortable, but something that I was prepared for by all the times in the past when I had put myself in those uncomfortable situations and learned how to do it on the fly. Um, What's next? So college football season now, we're getting close. By the time a lot of people listen to this, I got you on because officially 2019 kicks off. How much do you still get excited for the start of college football season, even now at 37, and now that you've called a lot of games and been to a lot of places? How much does it still, for you, when you're in a stadium and kickoff is nearing, how exciting is that still for you? I, like, I, can't, I can't even tell you how exciting it is. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's similar to a kid at Christmas, Clay, and I know that's cliche, but it's absolutely true. I love it. I absolutely love it. I am, you know, I, I hope that this is not because I'm getting a little older. I know I'm still somewhat young, but I don't want to be a curmudgeon, but I also, I fear where we're at in the sport. You know, if we continue to just have Clemson and Alabama be the only two factors in the sport, I don't think that that's good for us long term. I don't want to hate on greatness, but I do think that we need some others 
and more importantly, some star coaches like Lincoln Riley, maybe Ryan Day, maybe it's Jim Harbaugh's year, I'm not sure. You know, maybe it's Kirby Smart. We need some of these guys to rise up and rival Dabo and um, and Nick Saban. And, and I think that we need that this year. So I not only get excited just for the start because it's like Christmas, but I also get excited and anxious because I think that there are really important storylines for the health of the sport long term. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmental Environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, it's pretty fascinating. Well, you're going to be on with us weekly uh, during college football season for people who listen to the Outkick, the coverage show. I'll close with this, and we're talking to Joel Klatt. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joel Klatt. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. How much do you hate me? Um, words can't describe how much <laughs> hate I have for you. And, and as Dave Chappelle aptly says, if you have hate in your heart, let it out. There you go. That is Joel Klatt letting his hate out for me. And by the way, I got an idea for you. And Dub is taping this right now. Dub is on the show, uh, the radio show. 
We need to have every Here's week. What I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. I basically, I mainly hate you for one subject, and I feel like you you know why, and you deep down you agree with me. The Greg Schiano uh, not being the head coach at Tennessee uh, debate. Right. Right. What what you did was wrong. Now you can you cannot want him as the coach. Just like I'm sure there are a lot of people that didn't want Brett Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice. But that doesn't justify the way that they tried to go about it. Um, I wish that Tennessee oh, had been smart oh, enough. Oh, that one hurt. Not that one to. Hurt. I, I knew the analogy. That one hurt. I wish that Tennessee had been smart enough not to draw somebody in. The distinction that I would make. This is the distinction that I would make between Brett Kavanaugh and Greg Schiano. Unless you're a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Penn State conspiracy theorist, I think most people believe that what Jerry Sandusky did was a crime, right? That's why he was in prison. The jury convicted him. Oh, there's him, no doubt. Right? There's no doubt. There's I mean, no there, there's a tiny segment of, like, Penn State truthers that is like, oh, there's nothing to this. This is all made up. Like, because I hear from him all the time on Twitter, right? And there's a tiny subset of the population. 99%, 99.9%, whatever you want to say, of people is aware that something awful went on at Penn State and Jerry Sandusky's in no prison doubt. for it. No right? doubt. No doubt. The distinction I would make with Brett Kavanaugh is we don't know that anything ever improper happened in his life at all. In fact, all of the evidence would suggest that nothing happened I mean, at all. So the distinction that I would draw is – Yeah, the distinction that I would draw is – No, the However – But however, let, me just, let me just finish uh, the distinction. The distinction is we know something awful happened at Penn State. So not wanting somebody who was connected to it in any way, even if he didn't do anything wrong and there's disputes about all these things and all of those associational values, not wanting somebody connected to something that we know happened that was awful is different than somebody saying, making an allegation in the Brett Kavanaugh case, which it appears like never really happened if you really look at all the evidence. And certainly nobody would convict that there was a crime that occurred, so there's a distinction there. Um, so that's the distinction. Like if, the, the, if, the Kav- if Brett Kavanaugh, let me just say this, if Brett Kavanaugh had been a student manager on Penn State's football program and somebody in court testimony had said, hey, he, w- he heard about something awful that happened, he witnessed something, and even if he was never charged with it, I think a lot of people would say, I don't know if I want that guy sitting on the Supreme Court. Doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve to have a job. Doesn't mean that he can deserve to have uh, all sorts of things in his life. Clearly has not committed a crime or been charged with one. But just the connection itself is so bad, you don't want to have it associated with the program. However, however, you made that connection way, way too closely than just like, oh, he was somehow, some way related in an outside way. I, I linked, was, all, I linked the, 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 the stories linked, to it. it. And that's the problem. And, and because, here's, here's the problem, the only link is actually an, incredible, an incredibly discredited witness that mentions it only in the civil suit, not in the actual... Uh, not in the actual court case, but in the civil suit, and it's actually been discredited by two or three different eyewitnesses. So that's that was my problem, is that you, you kind of submarined a man's character, which now has affected his livelihood moving forward. Because you didn't want him as the head coach, my whole position is fine. You don't want him as the head coach, that's fine, but you don't tie him to that. In a roundabout way, even though there's direct evidence to the contrary. I would say this. Tennessee blew that 
because they should have – look, if I am involved in the vetting of a candidate at all, if they had called me and they had said, how do we roll this out, I could have walked them through it, right? I'm pretty good at PR. I'm pretty good at figuring things out. That Greg Schiano was the target for a total distrust that existed and, and I think has kind of dissipated now that Phil Fulmer is in charge between – the management of the Tennessee Athletic Department and the university as a whole and its fan base that led to Butch Jones, that led to Fulmer being fired, Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley. It was an incompetent regime, and if the regime had been competent, people would have been more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. And the real story here, and you know this, is everything blew up on Tennessee's face because Dan Mullen got the Florida job because suddenly Chip Kelly – uh, walked away from Florida because UCLA made the play to get him, right? Dan Mullen would be the coach at Tennessee right now, and I think they were totally anticipating that, and suddenly they had to swivel to Shiano, and I just don't think they were prepared. Now, all of that can be true. Here's here's the difference, and I'll make another distinction. Every word of what you just said can be true, but that still doesn't give anybody grounds to submarine a man's character falsely. I think that Tennessee should have never hired Greg Schiano. I maintain I did nothing wrong. Joel Klatt hates me forever for doing it. Uh, Joel, uh, I will talk to you again soon. This has been the Wins and Losses hey, if podcast. This, if this, and you just took an L. And no, you just big took win. an L. Big win for me there. Uh, 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 I appreciate it. Uh, that is Joel Klatt. Take Go follow him L. on Twitter Go. and tell him how like awful of a human being he is. Sombrero. At, <laughs> at Joel Klatt on Twitter. Uh, we'll be talking a lot during the college football season. I hope people enjoyed it. Thanks for the time, my man. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. See you, bud. This has been Wins and Losses. Clay Travis, if you enjoy this, go give us five stars. Rate us. Tell Joel Klatt he took the L, that he's the beer batter. Tag him on Twitter. And also, by the way, uh, we do want you guys to rate this podcast uh, five stars. I'll read some funny ones as we continue. If you enjoyed this, you'll probably enjoy some of the other ones as well. Appreciate you all. Thanks for hanging. This has been Wins and Losses. I'm Clay Travis. He's Joel Klatt. And this is the Wins and Losses podcast. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.